Attention. This podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From out of the darkness, you hear voices that send shivers down your spine. That feeling of dread is undeniable when you notice the monster under the bed is trembling. The aliens are scrambling to get back to the mothership, and the vampires are refusing to rise. Your reptilian overlords are pleased to force on you two humans they swear are not their captives. Your hosts, Michael and Wendy. This is Eerie and Absurd. Welcome back to Eerie and Absurd. I'm Mike. I'm Wendy. And it's our Missing Tuesday. Miss a Monday on a Tuesday. Listen, sometimes it's hard to get these suckers out on a Monday. I don't know whose idea that was. I know. God. Because it rhymes? Well, yeah, it just sounds good. Yeah, you're right. Maybe if we ever make it big, I can have just a complete separate show for Miss a Mondays, specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got two stories this time because there's not a lot of information about either one. Yeah. And rather than doing... A five-minute episode. <laughs> but they both take place at the same place. Yes. But different years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go first. So mine is about Corporal Kevin Rainey. Kevin Rainey was a corporal in the United States Marines in 1988, stationed at the Marine Corps Air Station in Yuma, Arizona. In December of that year, he was in training at the United States Navy base in Millington, Tennessee. He disappeared on December 19, 1988. So the story is apparently Rainey had fallen in love with an exotic dancer from a local strip club called the Brass Rail. I can't find any information on this woman's name. Yeah, I even tried to help you. And the Brass Rail is closed down. It doesn't exist anymore. Apparently it was a shithole. Yeah, apparently it was. Big but time. everything just refers to her as uh, the exotic dancer <laughs> or the dancer. Oh, great. On December 19th, he went to the dancer's trailer home where she lived with her boyfriend. Her trailer home? <laughs> <laughs> that's what it said. I mean, that's what it is, but I'm not making fun of trailer homes or exotic da- exotic dancers. Just for reference. Just it's a weird way to say it, I guess. Especially in Tennessee. <laughs> and I don't know, like, when he got there, I don't know if he knew she had a boyfriend. Okay, so she's got a boyfriend. She has a boyfriend. But he also thought he was the boyfriend. Right. So um, I don't know if he was surprised. So was this her boyfriend or was it her boss? I, there's no information on him either, a name or anything that I could find. It's frustrating. There's literally nothing. The dancer's boyfriend asked him to come inside. Rainey did go inside and has never been heard from since. Several days later, his car was found parked in a Walmart parking lot behind the trailer park. Investigators found bloodstains inside it and the blood was Rainey's. It was his blood type, but, you know, they didn't have DNA testing in 1988. So they couldn't confirm that it was his blood. They could just test the type of blood and it matched. (laughs) I guess, like, now they wouldn't try to test it if they even still have the evidence. Yeah, who Maybe knows? it's too old. I bet it's too degraded. Okay, go ahead. Later, it was discovered that the dancer's boyfriend was in possession of several of Rainey's personal items. He had Rainey's boots, his watch, and his scuba gear. I thought that was fucking weird. Yeah. His scuba gear. Like, was that stuff in his vehicle, you think? Probably. 
Okay. It was also discovered that the boyfriend started to give the dancer gifts that Rainey had apparently already purchased and had planned to give her himself. Oh, that's messed up. That makes you wonder, because I'm assuming he lived, like, on base. So it's not like that guy could go to the base and get his stuff unless he lived. Yeah, he just took it out of his car. Hmm. Authorities say that they knew the boyfriend had likely killed Rainey, but in 1988, the attorney general's office said they would not prosecute without a body. And today, they would definitely have prosecuted this guy. More than likely. Yeah, but back then, they wanted a body. Well, with technology and stuff, there was a difference, too. Yeah, that's true. Just the fact he's got his boots. I wonder if it was like his military-issued boots. You think? Maybe. The case was reopened in 2005, and they were about to arrest the dancer's boyfriend, who was their main suspect, according to Mills, and that was the detective that was working on the case. Okay. But he suddenly died of cancer. What? Why do we not have names? I w- that's what is frustrating me. I couldn't even find an article where they were going to arrest him or all the links were broke. All the links are broken, but also he doesn't even have a NamUs, uh, a profile in the NamUs oh, database. Right. Yeah, Kevin Rain, he doesn't have a NamUs. That, oh, um, he is listed on uh, missingveterans.com. That's where I got a lot of the information, too. Authorities claim they have good reason to believe Rainey may have been buried in a 100-acre field near the trailer park. They think the boyfriend put Rainey's body in the car and drove him back there and dumped him somewhere. They hope that someone may have information on what had happened that day or where Rainey's remains are located. They have Rainey listed as a deserter from the United States Marine Corps, but foul play is suspected in his case. They believe he was murdered, but they would like to locate the body so the family can have some closure. Kevin Rainey was 25 years old at the time he went missing in 1988. He had black hair, brown eyes, and wears prescription glasses. If you have any information about the whereabouts of Kevin Rainey, contact the Naval Criminal Investigation Service, Special Agent Otis Campbell, at 1-901-874-5387, or the Shelby County Sheriff's Office, Lieutenant John Mills, at 1-901-545-545. Five five zero zero. That's so sad that he doesn't have a name us. Yeah, I mean, and he's still listed as a deserter. And at this point, it's obvious he's not. Especially if the police felt that there was foul play. I thought that was unfortunate too. Yeah, that it's it that has him listed that way. But I mean, technically, they don't have proof of the contrary. So I don't know. There's enough, in my opinion, that they could look at that and go, mm, "He's very obviously not a deserter." Yeah. And his family, any benefits that he that they could have received, they don't get them if he's a deserter. I didn't think about that, but you're right. So most of this information I got came from missingveterans.com and charlieproject.org. And then there's a little blog website that we'll link in the description. Well, that was great. That's unfortunate. Okay. I am talking about Marine Lance Corporal Gary Boutelier. So he does have a NamUs, and I got a lot of my stuff from newspaper articles from the Tennessean, the Boston Globe, and yeah. All right. Summer of 1978, 19-year-old Marine Gary Boutelier is stationed at the Memphis Naval Air Station in Millington, Tennessee. Can I make this known? Why is this base called like 700 different things? It's a very long name. Kevin and this guy both are at the same base, but it has different names all over the place. I don't understand why. Hmm. Gary was what appeared to me to be an all-American boy. He never caused trouble for his parents. He never got in trouble in general. He played basketball. He was on the track team. And before he graduated from high school in 1977, 
He spent the summer volunteering at the Marine Recruiting Office in Lowell, Massachusetts, where he's from. Lowell? Lowell? (laughs) Yeah, my bad. (laughs) And honestly, who is going to spend their summers at a recruiting office if you're not getting paid? According to his mother, due to his volunteer work at the recruiting office, when he officially joined the Marines, he was automatically promoted to private first class. So they're super proud of him. After training camp is when he went to Millington, Tennessee to the electronics school that's located at that base. He was second in his electronics class, and he'd even received a merit promotion for his scholarship. Overall, he's doing great. He was adjusting very well to service life, and from all accounts, he was well-liked, and he made friends very easily. He's like 19. You know, sky's the limit. On Saturday, June 17th of 1978, Gary tells a friend at the base that he's going for a ride and he'll be back shortly. Gary had recently purchased a brand new motorcycle and his plan was to take a ride to the Shelby County Park, which is about 15 miles away. So what, he'd be gone like maybe an hour, hour and a half? You know, that's Mm -hmm. a decent ride, I guess. At this time, Gary had three days of classes left before he was scheduled to take a three-week leave to go home. Once his classes were over and he graduated, he was scheduled to receive a $1,500 bonus, and he had even scheduled his leave to occur the same time that his father took his vacation, so the family could all be together. Again, he's got good things going on and happening. And what 19-year-old actually schedules his vacation for when his dad is on vacation? Like, that's super sweet, because most of the time 19-year-olds get out there and they're like, oh, I didn't know I could do all this. (laughs) Sounds very responsible and thoughtful. Yes. However... On June the 19th, so we're we're on Monday, two days later, 1978, Gary's reported as being on an unauthorized absence due to not showing up for morning formation. Now, I don't have the exact date, but his parents, Robert and Rosemary, were called and notified that Gary had disappeared from the base. So here's the thing. It makes me sad. Nobody noticed he was gone until Monday at morning formation. That's when he was official. Like, oh, he's not here. Well, they may have noticed, but... I don't know. So I could literally only find like four articles that's in on him. Now, per regulation. So after somebody's been missing for 30 days, they're listed as a deserter. Gary did stay missing for 30 days. And so the Marines list him as a deserter and his disappearance is being treated as absent without leave, AWOL. And so this got his parents like severely bent out of shape. Because they could not believe that he was being classified as a deserter because they're trying to find him and they're contacting people. They're in Massachusetts most of the time, and so they had actually been in contact with their local authorities who were in contact with Tennessee authorities constantly, trying to figure out what's going on. Because he's obviously not the kind of kid who would just desert and just get up and leave. It didn't make sense. Yeah. He's very family-oriented. When Gary left for his motorcycle ride, he didn't take anything with him because he was just going on a ride and he's coming back. He left behind all of his clothes, all his belongings, and he left behind $500 that was found in his clothing at the base. So that's, this is 1978. $500 is a lot of money at that time. You don't just leave that, especially if you're going to desert, you're going to take it with you. Sure. Now, what makes things more frustrating was nobody was looking for him other than his own family. According to the Marine Corps, civilian authorities were handling the case. According to the Memphis police, they had no record of Gary's disappearance. According to the Shelby County Police Captain, Elvis Anderton, the case didn't concern his office. If he's military and absent without leave, that's the military's problem, he's quoted as saying. I would suspect the military police would handle it. According to the Millington City Police, they also cannot investigate. Due to Gary missing from a military base, it's outside their jurisdiction. They can only enter the base to serve warrants or legal papers. And that makes sense. I get it. 
Agnes Fite, a spokeswoman at the time for the Marine Corps, is cited as saying it's not the prerogative of the military to do anymore. We reported it to all authorities and covered all the procedures. The Marine Corps is not required to do anymore. Not required, but you could do some more. Right? There you have it. The military. You got the county police, you got Memphis police, and then you've got the city police, the locals. And it made me kind of wonder, like, I don't, I've never in my life. What in the world? That makes me so sad. So the next thing is, it's who do you contact? So nobody even went, like, to retrace his route to see if he'd maybe wrecked his motorcycle? Nope. The next route is FBI, right? Mm -hmm. You go up above the military. I I don't even think they're above the military. I don't fucking know. But (laughs) you go to the next people that are supposed to help you find people. So Gary's parents did request that the FBI step in and help in the disappearance of their son. However, the FBI sent a letter to the Boutelier family, which stated, and I quote, The FBI agreement with the Department of Defense is restricting its activity in the investigations of fugitive deserters. Your son's desertion does not fall within the scope of this agreement inasmuch as he's not charged by the military with a serious crime in connection with his desertion. So they're just treating him as a deserter. Yeah. So basically, since Gary, due to Gary not committing a crime, nobody would look for him. And his mother was livid because they won't look for him unless he actually commits a crime. And of course... If somebody, I'm sure if they spotted him, yeah, the military would probably go check it out because they're going to get Because I was pretty sure you like could get charged in the military for being a deserter, right? You can get in trouble for that. So I don't know the rules, but I thought you could get in a lot of trouble with them. Yeah. So I'm sure they would have followed up if somebody, you know, had stated, oh, I saw him at the gas station. But I can't find anything where any of that ever happened. So unfortunately, we're going to fast forward to 1983 because nothing's happening. Nothing. We know that he was a loving, wonderful person. We don't know if he had any enemies. We don't know if he had gotten in any arguments. We don't know if he was messing with any girls in like boyfriend situations. We don't know any of that stuff because he got on his motorcycle and he just left. He could have wrecked. It wasn't until September of 1983 that Robert and Rosemary received a letter from the Marine Corps that Gary's deserter status had been changed to missing. Five years later, a retired Air Force Reserve officer named Colonel William Cavanaugh wrote a letter to General Kelly about Gary's case. General Kelly responded to Cavanaugh's letter with the standard, like, typed-up response, but there was also a handwritten note that he wrote at the bottom stating, Please be assured that we are truly concerned. So it was after this that Robert and Rosemary received a detailed letter into their son's investigation with the message, under the circumstances presently known of Gary's disappearance, we have no reason to believe that his absence is voluntary. So with his status changed to missing, they were now entitled to his back pay and other benefits. This was the first letter that they had received from the Marines since their son's disappearance. Previous communication was by phone and had occurred three times in 1978, which was when he disappeared, and then once in 1981 when a recruiting officer had called stating that Gary was an outstanding Marine and would he be interested in re-enlisting. What? Do they not have a list of... Yeah, did you not read his bio? There's not like um, computers where they can just be like, oh, this guy's a deserter. I don't know if how that even works, but that's kind of messed up. I feel like, like they would have known not to call. In November of 1984, Robert and Rosemary received one last letter from the Marine Corps. So this is six years later. 
Gary's status was changed once again, but this time from missing to presumed dead. Robert, Gary's father, believed that Gary had an accident the day that he was riding his motorcycle and had died. Robert visited the Shelby County Park himself to search for Gary, thinking he could have wrecked and ended up like in some underbrush, or maybe his body was hidden from view due to like the winding country roads, and that makes perfect sense. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, he stated that Gary loved motorcycles and had rode them the entire time that he was growing up. So that was one of my things until I found that. I was like, was he new at riding? Because if you don't know how to ride a motorcycle, you can get, you're going to wreck. There's just, it's going to happen. But, I mean, he'd been doing it his whole life. Now, Rosemary, Gary's mother, was holding out the hope that he was alive. And maybe if he had wrecked, that he was suffering from amnesia. Oh, it made me so sad. She was really, really holding out hope. Now, today, Gary Boulier would be 62 years old. When he went missing, he was described as a 19-year-old white male with brown hair. He was between 5'5 and 6'3. He weighed between 150 to 230 pounds. If you have any information concerning Gary's disappearance, you can contact the Naval Criminal Investigative Service Headquarters, TIPS website, and I will list the case number, or... You can contact, for some reason, the Montgomery County Police Department at 1301-279-8000. So maybe a police officer was in Shelby and maybe he transferred to Montgomery and he's just keeping up with it. I mean, sometimes that happens. Two disappearances at Millington Base. And neither one seemed to have been really looked into much at all. And it took... (laughs) another person in the military just to get his like moved from deserter to missing. It's unfortunate. I don't know that foul play was involved in this, but then we also never know. He probably, he may have just wrecked his bike. Unfortunately, that is all we have on both of these cases. We really do want you guys to look at them, see what you think, let us know. Don't forget to like us, love us, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts, all the other things, whatever's. Contact us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Email us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com. Yeah, you can do that too. You can visit our website, eerieandabsurd.com. Well, until next time, you guys. You can't turn a hoe into a housewife. Stop, what? Hoes don't act right. (laughs) Stop. Who said that? Ludacris. Ludacris didn't say that. That's a song. That's out right now. By some little ass. He looks 13. No, it's Ludacris. Okay. Are you serious? Yes. Stop. I'll play it for you later. I'll play it for you later. I laughed because this little boy is just singing his heart out, and then all of a sudden the chorus is, You can't turn a hoe into a housewife. (laughs) I believe Luda said that a long time ago. He's a copycat. Now, he may have rapped it, but this boy sang it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my word. Bye. Until next time, fellow Absurdians, remember, everything you've heard is true, monsters are real, and the strangers in black are not a figment of your imagination. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. Do you have a story you want to share? Contact us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com or visit our website at eerieandabsurd.com to submit a suggestion. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at eerie underscore absurd.